0: how's that? There we go. Thank you, Martin. Right, we are beginning um, a new uh, book. We're going to be working through a book of the Bible over the next weeks, months, maybe even years. <laughs> We're going to be working through the book of Mark. And you can find this in the New Testament. It's towards the end of the Bible, but t- towards the beginning of the New Testament. So, uh, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, why don't you turn to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 8. But don't worry, it will be on the screen as well if you haven't got your Bible. So, just really a bit of background for you. Before we begin this big endeavour, working through the book of Mark, a bit of background on the book. Because The more I talk to people, the more they say they find that helpful. Just have a bit of background before. Is that true? Yeah, is that helpful? Okay, we'll just do that just very, very briefly so you've got a bit of background of what we're looking into this morning and over the next few weeks and months into the book of Mark. Mark is the earliest of the four Gospels in the New Testament, the accounts of Jesus. Mark is the earliest one uh, out of those four uh, Mark was um, a friend. Actually, Sandra, if you just flick to the first. Oh, not that one. Not that one. I did put them in order, did I? I should have put them in order. There we go. Uh, <laughs> there's just a bit of background there. Um, Mark was a friend of the Apostle Paul. And uh, he was also a relative of Barnabas as well. Um, he wasn't one of Jesus' closest followers, he wasn't one of the twelve. Um, In fact, he was probably only a young uh, lad at the time um, uh, uh, of Jesus' ministry. However, he might have been around Jesus. He might have even known Jesus. Um, uh, Particularly because in Acts 12 it tells us that the early church in Jerusalem was meeting at his mum's house. Mark um, did know Peter. Peter. He did know uh, who was one of uh, Jesus' closest followers. Um, he did know Peter, um, and uh, one Peter. The, the letter of one Peter refers to Mark being with Peter in Rome um, at the time, and perhaps, perhaps this is where he got many of his facts, many of his uh, many of the accounts of Jesus. Perhaps he got them from Peter. And. Uh, Intelligent, clever people say the book was probably written in Rome. Uh, So, you know, this big, huge Roman Empire city, uh, that's where it was probably written. So what's the main purpose of Mark? Well, I've put down three this morning. Um, If you just skip to the next slide, I'll give you them there. Um, It's this, it's to make the good news about Jesus... Uh, accessible to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. He wants everyone to read about Jesus, to read about the good news about Jesus. And so it's a lot simpler than the other Gospels um, and a lot more action, bang, 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 okay, like that. He wants to encourage those that are facing persecution. So there's an emphasis in the book about how Jesus knew he must suffer and how he knew that his followers would suffer um, as well. And actually, if it's written in Rome, that's particularly significant because the uh, Christians in Rome were facing a lot of persecution at the time. It's also to explain the significance of the cross, that Jesus simply wasn't a good teacher, that he wasn't simply a prophet, but how he was God who had come to earth to rescue men and women. So there you go, a little bit of background on Mark. And why don't we get into uh, this first uh, passage from Mark chapter one this morning. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the deserts prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's three... And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to focus on uh, three people. This morning I want us to focus on Mark... I then want to focus on John and then on us. I know us isn't more than just one, but that's okay, isn't it? I can do that if I'm preaching. I want to focus on Mark, on John, and on us. See, this opening passage of John speaks to a, a common question in our Western culture, which is this if God exists, well, can we really know him? Can we ever really get to know him, get to encounter him? Or is he always this distant figure, this concept that kind of is out there and never anything to do with our lives? Can we ever really be sure? It's a bit like how I find some modern-day adverts, maybe adverts on the telly, maybe adverts in a magazine or on the internet, And uh, it's not always clear to me what they're advertising. I don't know if anyone else finds this. And I will sit there, perhaps Jodie and I will sit on an evening, and an advert will come on, and I'll sit there thinking, I think I know what they're advertising. It has nothing to do with the product. In fact, I don't even think I saw the product in the advert. And I think I know what it was for. Do you ever find this? You're kind of left confused, left a bit baffled. I'm sure Martin would tell you this: it's all about branding and there's a reason behind it and it gets it in your head. But I'm left there confused going, I don't really know what they're trying to tell me or what, even what they're trying to sell me. Um, it gets even worse at Christmas, doesn't it? Because then all the Christmas adverts come on and you sit there and think, well, I know it's Christmas and I know that's an advert about Christmas, but... What am I meant to buy? And you're left confused. Mark is very clear about what his message is God is here, God is on the scene, He's come amongst you. See, he wants people to be very clear that this good news is for the people and it's about Jesus. See how it begins? It starts like this, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because Mark's not simply just writing um, a historical account, and I do say simply because it is a historical account, it's rooted in history, but it's not kind of like um, a He's not writing a biography of Jesus as such. Who likes biographies? Does anyone like biographies? Biographies are for, uh, books about people written by someone else, about someone's life, and you might get a biography on David Beckham or Tony Blair or whoever, and you might read that. And uh, I quite like biographies. I think they're quite fun um, most of the time. It's not, that's not what he's writing. He's not writing a biography as, as we think of it. Um, in the early part of the, uh, the last century, um, the, uh, a, a book publishing company wrote a letter to the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral. St. Paul's Cathedral is that place in London where you know loads of people just turned up and squatted in tents and kind of didn't have showers for months and were uh, protesting about capitalism. Anyway, that's St. Paul's. And anyway, uh, probably uh, just under 100 years ago... Um, a book publishing company wrote to the dean and said, uh, we, we'd really like you to write a book for us on the life of Jesus. And uh, this is this is what he wrote back to them. He said, as there are no materials for a life of Christ, I regret, I cannot comply with your request. And you think, oh, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? And you know, maybe he was being a bit awkward, maybe he was being a little bit cocky, but actually, he's, what he's trying to say through his reply is um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're not, they're not written as whole biographies of the life of Jesus. You know, some of them record the birth of Jesus, some of them uh, have a bit about Jesus in the temple as a, as, a, as a young man, as a boy, but most are about the end of his life. Most are about the last few years of his life, and more particularly, the last um, uh, few weeks of his life why why is this because their purpose is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and that's why they're being written marks proclaiming that Jesus is good news so he's wanting his readers to encounter Jesus so as they read his account they're encountering Jesus through it, He's wanting them to have a relationship, a friendship with this Jesus. He doesn't pe- want people just to know some facts, to know some stories. But he wants them to know that Jesus' message, who he is, is good news to you and I. He wants them to know that to know Jesus is to know God. I love what Martin read out this morning from Colossians. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. They're knowing God. It's not like Jesus is a channel to God. He is God. Because even though the Gospels focus on the last, primarily the last few years of Jesus' life, Actually, even from that, we get a very clear picture, a very clear understanding of G- who Jesus is, what he's like, how he loves, how he acts, and certainly about his good news. See, the answer to, to the world's question that I started out with perhaps, does God exist? Can we know him? Can we even know what he's like? See Mark's saying, in encountering Jesus, you're encountering God. You're encountering God in the flesh. I was really encouraged um, a few weeks ago by a story from a parent in this church, and it was about one of their children who was playing football with their friends. And their friends said, their friends stopped and asked them, you know, if how do you know God is real? come on, tell me, why, why do you believe this? He said, he told his mum, I, I really didn't know what to say. So I started with Jesus. And I said, well, well, because I read about Jesus and because, because I see that y- you can't go to a grave where Jesus is. You know, he was crucified and, and then, and then rose. And you can't find his grave and you can't find a body because he's alive he's with his father, because I know him. And uh, I, was, I thought, what a fantastic place to start. It, you know, sometimes we can, we can often think that... Sorry, I'm getting a bit close there, aren't I? Especially with <laughs> Libby there with a the cold. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just inching further forwards. Sometimes, sometimes we can have... We can think that we need to know all the answers... Do you know, oh, I've got to know, what's my answer to, well, does evolution discount God? What, what's the answer to, well, what about all religions, because they just cause evil? Um, what, what are my answers to all these big questions? I need to know them, I need to have them sorted. No, no, you and I, we've got the ultimate answer. It's Jesus. It's him. This is the answer people need to hear. I'm not against understanding difficult questions, and understanding how things apply to life, and understanding how we defend our faith. But the ultimate answer is Jesus. And that's what people need to hear. They need to know that in Jesus, they can be restored to the Heavenly Father. That's why Paul in Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then he says in 1 Corinthians, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He wants to preach Jesus. He wants to um, share and proclaim Jesus. So Paul, Mark, their message is Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning have you made your life something else other than Jesus? I'm not just talking to people who aren't Christians here this morning although I am as well perhaps you're part of the church here have you allowed other things to take Jesus' place as the delight of your life? You know, other things that seem so worthy, but in fact take his place. And take his place as the centre of your affections. A Comfortable lifestyle, the perfect career, the perfect family. Sometimes we can let them take centre stage of our lives instead of Jesus. You know, let's ensure that we are living daily in who Jesus is, in this good news that Mark proclaims. I want to issue you a challenge this week. Are you up for a challenge? Why don't you read through Mark this week? 16 chapters or so. If you don't like reading too much, find it on audiobook or something like that on the internet. Why don't you read Mark? And just just even jot down, write down things that speak to you about who Jesus is and, and what he's like and, and things he does and just jot them down as you read through Mark over the next week. Okay, secondly, John. So from setting out his purpose for his gospel. Mark then quotes from the Old Testament. See, much of the Old, te- much of the Old Testament is prophecy about who Jesus is. Prophecy of, in fact, you, you, you could say that actually the whole of the Old Testament is about, it kind of culminates and is building up to Jesus from, from the start of the curse of Adam's sin through to actually that being reversed, actually that being broken. In Jesus. You could say the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. But actually, here, Mark uses the Old Testament and speaks to prophecy in the Old Testament about someone else. About someone who would come before Jesus. Someone that would prepare the way for him. Someone that would announce his coming. And then he goes on to introduce this guy, John. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. It's not like how we think of Baptists. We think of denominations, don't we? When we think of John the Baptist, we think of okay, the Baptists, the Baptist movement within the Christianity. That's not what he means here. Um, he's naming him after what he did. He's John the Baptizer. And sometimes we use that in our language, don't we? We say, uh, we 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 call someone after what something they do. You know, footballers. Uh, you, you have like. Uh, uh, oh, that's Mick the hacker. He just hacks everyone. I'm sure, I'm sure, Alan, you know a few of them, don't you, in the football? Charlie the chopper. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie the chopper. But, you know, he just ha- he just hacks everyone. He's, he's he's Dave the hacker. He just kicks everyone. Or um, there's other things, isn't there? Oh, that's that's Millie the dancer, or whatever. Uh, sometimes we use that type of language to, and that's what he's doing here. That's what Mark's doing. He's John, John the baptizer. But what do we find out about him? Okay, what do we find out about uh, about John? It's not a rhetorical question. Shout some out. What do we find out about John? Anything? He eats locusts, okay. That's a good start, thanks Chris. He lived in the wilderness, okay, yep. Right. He liked a bit of honey, a bit of wild honey, Yep. Was there another one there? Oh, that's very good, Paul. Yes, as well. It's the prophet Isaiah, said he was going to come. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know about you, but I think if I was choosing someone to go before me, the criteria for the type of person I would choose would be very different okay so imagine the queen was going to come and visit us imagine her majesty was going to come to jubilee and visit us what type of person would her majesty send before her to announce her visit to prepare us for her visit someone maybe who lived in a nice part of town maybe from the city maybe in a nice house perhaps a mansion Maybe someone who dressed smartly, perhaps in a tailored suit. Maybe someone who had a a taste for fine food, knew all the nicest restaurants. But God sends John, who lived out in the desert, who had clothes made of camel hair, and ate locusts and wild honey. I I can... I can just kind of... I think I was a locust. <laughs> uh, I think I can just see perhaps even the, the, the discussion between the angels at the time. Oh, the father's just, just announced what the plan is. Okay, he's going to send first John. And you see the other angel saying, John. Yeah. The guy that lives in the desert. Yeah, Um, the camel hair clothes guy. Yeah, Who, who compliments it with a leather belt. Yeah, and eats locusts and wild honey. Yeah, that's the guy, yeah. God's ways aren't our ways, are they? He uses who he uses. And he uses John, and we might laugh at the description of him. Yet Mark tells us, crowds of people went out to see him, to confess their sin, to repent, and to kind of take part in this watery, symbolic act where he thrust them under the water and pulled them out again. See, I know me, and I I know that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes... I can think I'm pretty good. I can think I'm pretty impressive. I can, I can sometimes think that God must love having me on his side because I can be quite impressive sometimes. I'm pretty sure he must be impressed that I'm on his side. I'm pretty pleased that I'm on his side. But most of the time, I have a different view of myself. Most of the time, it is, why would God want to use me? Why would God choose me? Why would God want me to be part of his people in displaying how good he is to the rest of the world? Do you ever think the same? But God's not looking for the cleverest, the most popular, the most intelligent, the ones with the best natural gifts and talents. This is what Paul writes to Corinthian church. This is 1 Corinthians 1. He says, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one May boast before him. See, perhaps you don't always feel equipped in the Christian life. Oh, my upbringing wasn't very good. I've made mistakes. My language is poor. I didn't get many qualifications. I, I'm not respected really by my neighbours. I've got a criminal record. I'm shy. I'm not very confident. Listen, God's not looking for employees. But he's choosing children. You need to hear that. God's not after employees, he's choosing children. See, if you know Jesus, you are a child of God. You've been called, adopted, chosen by God. And he wants you to be you, not you to think, not you to be who you think you should be think you can be, but to be you. He wants you to be that child of God that you are, that I am, that we are. And a child of God that knows, actually it's not about me, it's about another. See, John knew it was about another. John knew it was about someone else. He didn't try and attract people with his cleverness with his dress and with his food. He knew he had a job to do in preparing the way for Jesus. In fact, he didn't even know all the detail. He actually only realises when he sees Jesus, he goes, oh, that's, that's the one. See, it comes down to faith. Where is your trust? Is it in you? Who you are? how much effort you think you can put in? Or is it in Jesus who is all-sufficient, all-wonderful, all-powerful? See, for some of us today, I believe God just wants to shift our dependency from thinking it's down to me, it's down to how good I can be, which is about Jesus, to shifting it to Jesus for some of us with those questions I can't do that thing that thing that he's calling me to I can't do that that person he wants me to befriend that person he wants me to get alongside I can't do it no actually your trust is in the wrong place shift your trust to Jesus shift your trust and your faith to him and who he is okay finally I want to finish with verse 8 John says this, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, this has always been God's plan to be present amongst his people, to be amongst his people, to have a people who are his and that he's their God, to dwell amongst his people. And so John is living in a time where, actually, knowing God had become about requirements. I do these requirements. It'd become more about that. For them, the temple had become... was meant to be the place where they encountered God. It was meant to be the place where they met with God, where they knew that he was their God and they were his people. But actually... The temple had become, and we'll see this later on in Mark as we've worked through it. The temple had become a place, which had become more about empty ritual, and in fact had become about commerce and money changing. And so John's announcing, "There's this one to come. He's going to usher in the presence of God with his people. God would, re- God to return to his people. And this time, it wouldn't simply be about a building, one building." one place where you go, or even one people or one nation in one part of the world. It will be to all people throughout the world, just as Raj was saying, and different places, different people, different nations. John's saying these people will become a living temple. It will be like a temple on the move, a living temple for God, where God dwells. See, much of this passage is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to the people, and it's not like one of those gentle wake-up calls. Maybe like you had this morning. It's more like the art. Uh, it's more like the a wake-up call like you're in the army. It's that kind of now. It's that kind of urgency. It's that kind of uh, response, rather than the gentle. Okay, okay, wake up. John is suddenly on the scene. He's calling people to return to God. He's Throwing them under water, uh, proclaiming that there's one to come who's going to immerse them in the presence and power of God. However, the mission of Jesus would be very different to what they would expect and what they were expecting. See, they were expecting and waiting for a Messiah who would come and rule the people, a Messiah who would come and free them from Roman rule, and. Uh, and lead the nation. That what, this is what they hoped for when they, when they read Isaiah and said, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. But Jesus was going to be a very different king. The straight path was actually to be unjustly condemned as a criminal, to die a bloody death on a cross. To be condemned with other criminals. But actually, his kingship would bring release. Not release from foreign rule, but release from sin, release from shame, release from failure, release by taking it on himself, which is what he did at the cross dealing with everything that separated you and I from the Father. He defeated it. He defeated sin and death at the cross and conquered it and conquered the grave and rose to life. And it is this risen Jesus who, in Acts 1 we read, is with his followers and he says, John baptised you with water, but you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. It's not like I'm here to give you some stuff about knowing the Father, about knowing the presence of God. He said, you're going to be immersed in the presence of God. Do you know this is the same promise to us? This is the same promise to us. To be filled with the very presence of God. To know that we're his. To be empowered by him. To take the very presence of God into the places that you and I go. This is God's promise to you and I. I remember as a young Christian, just thinking, Do you know, I want to I change, I, wa- I want to change things, I want to change my school, I want to change uh, my friends. I've just got to be better at things. And I would come up with lists. If this week I can be better at these things... I'll change my friends. I'll change my school. This week, I can really work hard at being good and nice. (laughs) If I work really hard at perhaps telling someone about Jesus every day and make, make sure I do it every day, then maybe I'll change people and situations around me. But actually, I I came to realize that's not how it works. He wanted to come and fill me with his power. He wanted to come and fill me, immerse me in his presence. So that actually from within me, actually from out of me, would come the very love of God, the very presence of God. And actually, his life would come out and touch people, touch situations. And you know, that's the same today for me, for you. He wants to pour his life, pour his very power, pour his very presence into us and send us out amongst our friends, amongst our workplaces, amongst our neighbourhoods and our streets just as we heard this morning from those words again and again he wants us to fish in the places he's put us but not through our efforts not through our cleverness but through the very power and presence that he wants to put in us through his very Holy Spirit who is God coming to us and living through us and drawing people and magnifying Jesus. I want to give us opportunity to respond this morning. This is where I kind of think I know where I want us to respond and then we have, then we worship and get into God's presence and then things happen and you kind of go, okay, right, okay, perhaps God wants to do this this morning. Perhaps he wants to do something else. Perhaps like me, you kind of of think, I want to, I'll, I just think I've got to live better. I hear those words about fishing and putting out nets and sharing the love of God. I've just got to do that better. I've just got to learn how to do that better. Well, actually, today, no, no, God wants to fill you with his spirit, immerse you with his spirit so that he might enable you to fish as he's called you to fish. Maybe... You're not a Christian here this morning. Do you know Mark's very first words in his gospel? A truth for you this morning. (laughs) The gospel about Jesus, the Messiah. The good news. There is good news for you this morning. If you're not a Christian and you're thinking, I want to follow this Jesus, do you know there's good news? And it starts with coming to Jesus and saying, I'm sorry for those things I've done wrong. I believe you died for them on the cross so that I could know the Father. And I want to accept you into my life. That's how you start. You can do that this morning as we respond. What I want us to do is I want us to just pray for a minute. Just invite God to come and speak to us. And then we're going to sing, and then we're going to bring a bit more response after that. Let's come before God. Just as Mark, in his gospel, wants us to be very clear what his message is. I want us to be clear this morning as we come to Jesus. We're coming to him. We're not necessarily coming to myself, coming to other leaders, coming to mums or dads, coming to friends. We're coming to Jesus because it is all about him. So Jesus, we are so grateful that you are here by your spirit. We're so grateful. And we ask, come and fill us. Come and fill us afresh this morning. Come and immerse us in the very power and presence of God. As we just keep our eyes or keep our attention on Jesus, as we keep just focusing on him, if the band could come up, that would be really helpful and just um, prepare to lead us in a song. We ask, Holy Spirit, come flood our